Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa coming off a season opening victory against the Central Michigan Chippewas. Dustin, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well, Cade. I'm just I'm just glad football is back. I oh. I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted a loss, but I'm just I'm just glad it's back. What a feeling. I mean, <laughs> not even just the Oklahoma State game, the full weekend and a Monday of college football. I mean, what a what a time to be alive, really. Like it 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 really is one of my favorite weekends of the year, this Labor Day weekend when college football returns and you get right back in the groove of things and it feels like it never left. After that long offseason is done, feels like it never left. It's great. And I know it was like almost a week ago now, but had a great time in Stillwater on Thursday for the game. Um, it was a lot of fun. My, I think I mentioned on here, my wife didn't get to go to many games with me last year because she was pregnant. So she's back. She's back in the saddle now. She was pumped. Uh, and we, <laughs> I had, bet. we had a good time. How I was bet. your uh, experience? Uh, it was great. I actually, um, I did what I said I would do. And I got a chance to check out the stone cloud up in uh, Stillwater, which again, no free ads, but it's a good place to grab a beer before the game, especially on a <laughs> Thursday when there's a slow moving crowd, I would think on this coming Saturday, it's going to be packed, but uh, it was great. Got to swing by the penny on the way in. Like we got to did do you it up a new a little. beer. Uh, I did uh, at stone cloud. No, the new uh, OSU. I actually did. I had it out of the white can in, in Boone Pickens stadium and it was better in the stadium than it was the one I had at home, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought it was pretty good. I, uh, I had a couple, of them in the stadium and i love the can the, the can, is, can is really cool so yeah had a good time um i mean the first half we almost got close to my score prediction at the end of the <laughs> first half <laughs> i was tracking it as we were going because i i threw out 34 to 13 and i was like by the middle of the second quarter I was like this is looking pretty dicey I, <laughs> i'm not sure i'm gonna be even close here and i wasn't close on a lot uh, in my prediction of that game, it just, I think the first game of the year, you really don't know what you're going to see. And I think we were right on a lot, um, scheme wise. I think we were right on a lot of, uh, what Oklahoma state tried to do. What I personally didn't expect was the full throttle lightning speed air it out for, for three full quarters, essentially. Yeah. And you know, kid, you and I had heard, we said it on the last podcast that, they're going to air it out, even in the non-con. <laughs> we were just very hesitant to believe it. When we did our prize picks, and you, I think it was 29 attempts for Sister Sanders, yeah. which I think he hit in the first half. I went over, but I was hesitant. Even though we had heard that, I just it's Oklahoma State, and especially what we saw last year. I know there was young receiving core and some injuries on the offensive line, but I just didn't believe that they were going to air it out and go tempo. And they did. So maybe we should trust our sources and just trust ourselves more. Well, I mean, that was tempo and air it out like on a level I don't really remember. I mean, even in the Brandon Whedon days, they were running the ball a lot. Um, 
this was, I mean, this was pass first run later and uh, it was fun. Like I, I want to yeah. get into that with you a little bit. Um, and we can, we can get to that here in a little while as we kind of break down what we saw on the offense and the defense. But I mean, what was, what was the thing that stood out to you the most? Because the offense tempo and the, and the play calling was the thing that stood out to me the most. Yeah, I, that was huge. And and sorry, we, we, I didn't even mention the score when I gave that like little recap of the game at the beginning. So Oklahoma state 58 central Michigan, 44 was the final score. If you missed it, if you missed it, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but but yeah, I think, Kate, I guess I'll go on the other side of the ball. Just just the defense in general, just getting to see these guys that we've talked about all offseason, all summer, all fall camp, the Mason Cobbs, the Lamont Bishops, the Xavier Benson, the yep. Kendall Daniels, just seeing these new guys that we haven't got to see or didn't get to see much of last year out there and performing for this defense. And I thought it was fun all around. We'll get into the defense, I know, later. Some of the lapses, some of the things um, – the multiple scoring drives Central Michigan had in the second half. But overall, I just had a lot of fun watching this game and re-watching it. I, t- I think I, I, it might have been you that I texted. I can't remember who it was, but that took me longer than any other rewatch I, I, I've ever done. And I, th- I just kept rewinding it on, de- on both defense and offense just kind of just because I think I was so excited. I found myself doing that more with the defense, trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's happening with the linebackers. And, uh, but I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think I watched John Paul Richardson's touchdown 10 times, <laughs> like out of the backfield, a little bit of a button hook, like didn't see that coming at all. And Kate, and it, he's very fast. I tried to tell you very tell fast. He's in the extremely open fast. He almost fell down twice which is about as many times as i'd fall down going up the stairs in section 216 um but the point remains you nailed it he's lightning quick um but yeah i totally agree with you it was a extremely rewatchable game the highlights were all out of control i mean spencer sanders with two of the best runs of his career probably like that go for touchdowns just a great game to rewatch and, and very enjoyable. And I'm, I'm pumped to dive into it with you. And so obviously Oklahoma state gets the win, you know, some, some late action from central Michigan that is important to some, maybe not you and I on this podcast, but important to some. And when I say that, I mean, the, the people who had Oklahoma state minus 21 and a half, it was important to those people specifically. Uh, but Dustin, let's just jump right into the offense. Okay. And I think it starts the conversation has to start with Spencer Sanders, right? You and I were yeah. on the train last year when we started this podcast. We were already on the Spencer train, and there have been there's been a lot of um, of people getting seats lately after what we saw against Central Michigan. I mean, really, probably one of the most complete games of his career up to this point. Yeah, twenty eight of forty one, four hundred and six yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a completion percentage of 68 percent i read that he became just the second quarterback in big 12 history to throw for at least 300 yards three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns and a half along with patrick mahomes yeah. in 2016 he broke his career high in passing yards i think with like 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter since the fiesta bowl from halftime of the fiesta bowl through halftime of the central michigan game Spencer Sanders has completed 43 of 59 attempts for 549 yards and five touchdowns, 16 carries for 139 yards and two touchdowns. Just insane stats. Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. 
I think the only thing Cade, and he even said it himself after the game, is just working on some accuracy with the deep balls. He was four of nine on 20 plus yards down the field. And I think he only completed one throw between the hashes, 10 plus yards down the field. So just needs to get some accuracy there. There was a couple drops, which I'm sure we'll yep. talk about as well. But I think the thing, you know, I saw some people talking about the skip ball or, you know, a couple of the throws that came up a little short. I know one of them in particular to Bryson Green, who started at the X position for Jaden Bray. I watched that play over and over and over again, and it was kind of a little bit of a sloppy route from Bryson. And the other thing that came to my came to my head when I was watching it is that Spencer's been working with Bray on that route. Oh yeah, until three weeks ago when he broke his thumb. And spoiler alert, it's, it's yeah, it's just a little bit of. It's just a little bit of, you know, I think just being a little out of sync there. We saw that at times with Rashad Owens last year and Spencer when Rashad had to step up and play. And then the other thing with some of those throws is it's it's always kind of been Spencer's main, one of his main issues. And I know Coach Rattay talks about working with it, working with him on it, but the footwork. Yeah. When he gets when he gets a little rattled, his feet get crazy. And it's been like that since high school. He's improved over time and I'm sure he'll continue to improve. But I think those are the just, that's just my overall kind of rambling breakdown of Spencer Sanders right there. But not a lot of negatives. Not a lot of negatives, but I'm glad you hit on what you hit on. The only thing that stuck out to me, there was a play in the, I think it was in the second quarter, game is well in hand, but he's dropping back and he's, he's, not feeling a lot of pressure at this time. He's got actually quite a bit of time in the pocket, but the the receivers are covered up and he kind of stands there, pats the ball, pats the ball. His feet are a little crazy. And then he ultimately has to scramble out of the pocket and throw it away. But last year we saw him take that sack against Notre Dame. Like that happened several times last year where it's like, Oh, Spencer, you just got to get either run or get rid of the ball. Um, and that was one that I kind of circled and I should I should have uh, written down when it happened so you could go back and look at it. But it stuck out to me as like one of those like, okay, he might not have done that last year type of plays. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think just overall, just keeping talking about his passing game, he wasn't pressured that many times. PFF has him as blitzed on 11 or 12 of his total dropbacks, 12 of his 46 total dropbacks. So not a lot of pressure. And Gundy continues to repeat, you know, if Spencer can get his running game going early, if he's not pressured, the line blocks well for him. He's an insanely good quarterback. And, you know, he loves, loves running the tempo. I I mean, I, I think really the only time he kind of faltered was, and it wasn't even on him, I think with the offense kind of faltered, is that first kind of several drives going into the second half, they came out. That was the first time they had run 12 personnel the whole day. Right. First play of the second half. They come out and these are the passes in the second half that he threw. Deep fade ball to uh, Braden Johnson, deep ball to Braden Johnson, deep ball to Braden Johnson, Cassidy, another deep ball to Braden Johnson, check down to Gordon, another drop off to Gordon. Owens had the drop quick pass to JPR quick pass to Bryson and then the quick pass to Braylon it you know I I see people say that kind of Spencer fell off when they stopped going tempo I think it was a play calling thing there more than on Spencer you know I mean what those routes that's basically just saying hey if Braden has one-on-one on on the outside 
throw the play it. is just throw it up to him. Let's just try to gain some yards, keep the clock going. We'll run, run, and we'll do that again. If he's being asked to do that, I mean, he needs to complete more of them. I said he needs to keep working on the deep ball, but that's that's a little much to put that entire second half passing game on Sanders' shoulders and saying he underperformed there. I I just think they tried to go slow and it didn't work out, and that's something they're going to have to kind of correct moving forward. But I just thought overall, and you know, Kate, we talk about it. He got almost to that sixty-yard mark that we talk about yep. over and over again, rushing the ball. Whether it's scrambling, the dr- the the draw RPO is like. I think one of Casey Dunn's favorite plays. They run that so it's much. So hard to defend. <laughs> I mean, two seasons in the scrambling. And they even threw in late in the game a little down G run where the play side guard pulls and Spencer kept it around the edge. I was really interested in that, that late in the game. Maybe that's going to lead into some plays they run in the next couple of weeks that we see with Spencer and maybe some, some gap scheme. But his. His ability as a runner, I, I just, w- what were your takes on well, that? Well, are, are you suggesting a little QB power in our future? Is that what you're yeah, saying? I think we'll see some. We've seen it before. I think we could see yep. it again. Yeah. Well, I, I think you saw, and, and I wanted to go back to the tempo that you were mentioning. I think you saw a as comfortable Spencer Sanders as we've ever seen. And I think it's when he's able to use his legs and create. Um, I mean, that second touchdown run he had was on a broken play. It's it's at least what it resulted to me is it was Dunn said it, it was. It was supposed okay, to be a halfback draw. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it looked like it was supposed to be a draw and that the handoff on the wrong side, running back went on the wrong side, whatever. But and then he just scores it. And I think a lot of that is because of having the defense on their heels. Spencer's talked about that. He's at his best when the defense is on its heels. And I think you saw it. I thought his decision-making was very, um, maybe not always perfect, but it was always quick. And that's something we didn't always see with him. And so um, I I tweeted it during the game, and I still believe it completely, even after the rewatch, is that I don't think you could expect Spencer Sanders to look more comfortable running this offense. And I I just, I, I think the tempo... And going 11 personnel mostly and even going empty at times is where he's at his best. You could even go back to the COVID year game against Texas where that was a shootout. And a lot of that game, Oklahoma State did go into 11 personnel and and they put up a ton of points and Spencer looked really good aside from the turnovers. And it's always been, if he can clean up those turnovers, he's going to be great. The, the last thing I'll leave you with, Dustin, everybody keeps telling me, like the it's the the second half of the Fiesta Bowl and then that game, I'm gonna go the last two games. Nine hundred and fifty nine total yards, ten total touchdowns, zero interceptions. He he is turning the corner, has turned the corner. I think you could argue. Um, I just I was really uh, thrilled with the way he played on on Thursday. Yeah, and you know Central Michigan's defense is not great. We need to mention that that they're not like an incredibly you know, just sound all around great defense. They're not terrible, but they're not great. I think Central Michigan will do really well in the MAC this year. We said that on the last podcast. Yep. We think they have a shot to win it. But yeah, and and you mentioned the personnel scheme. So I wanted to kind of hit that little breakdown real quick before we get into some of the other position groups. So 37 plays, and this is excluding the three kneels at the end of the game. So 37 plays, 280 yards. That's 53% of the plays and 11 personnel. or 21 plays for 196 yards in 10 personnel. 12 personnel was 10 plays, 57 yards. That's 14%. And then they also went 23 personnel, which was that 
two formations with Middleton and Richardson in the backfield and the three Cowboy backs. So that's kind of how the play group broke down. I A lot more. So we saw 44% 10 personnel, I believe, in the bowl game. And I, I know at times last year, we saw some high 10, per, 10 personnel numbers. But you have to remember, I was counting Blaine Green as a wide receiver because that's right. what he was listed as. So if you take that out, 30% of like no Cowboy back on the field at all is a lot compared to what we've seen from recent OSU teams in recent years. And along with that, you know, kind of the scheme is a heavy zone as we've seen inside outside zone, but they threw in some draw They had GT counter in there on one play with Caleb Etienne and Matirko pulling and it, it, it didn't go very well. Uh, G lead down G th- their main kind of formation that they ran out there with was Cowboy back at the H back spot, which is, you know, right next to the tackle, a little off the line of scrimmage. Twins to one side, single receiver to the other. X receiver is always on the left for Oklahoma State. Z receiver is always on the right. So Bryson Green on the left um, and Braden Johnson on the right. A lot of pistol. We saw some kind of offset running back. We saw some cowboy back go out into trips, which we split out wide. As I mentioned, 12 personnel in the second half of the diamond formation. That that was pretty much, it, it looked like Oklahoma State's offense from last year. And I knew they weren't going to show too much but i liked kind of i like the scheme i like the way the play calling was set up just kind of the overall format of how casey dunn called the game in that first half was great i thought it went really well i love the tempo but kate what i think they're going to need to figure out a way to gain yards when they're not going fast i agree and and i think it comes down to the running game, the O-line and the running backs. I don't know if we're ready to move on to them. It's but a phenomenal That's kind of where I wanted to go next. Yeah, it's it's the art of the segue, and and you're you're a you're an artist. Um, I completely agree with you. They will have to figure out ways to run the ball because I I think that you know, and and it's not ways to run the ball. It's really ways to run clock. Um, when they can't go fast. I mean, you talk about complimentary football last year. We saw Oklahoma State's defense really kind of carrying Oklahoma State to win games. This year, that may be there. It may not be there. But what, what's going to have to happen is Oklahoma State's going to have to be able to dictate the tempo of the game that they want to dictate, okay? And so I love transition to offensive line and running back. And I want to start with the offensive line personally because I thought they were phenomenal in pass protection most of the evening. But run blocking – was something that Mike Gundy talked about in his radio show as saying they've, he said in the post game, said it in his radio show, and then he said it in his weekly press conference as something that's got to get better in week two. And on the rewatch, I would say the same thing, but that's, they just didn't run the ball a whole lot. So it's, it's still even hard to get a grip on really kind of what happened there. Yeah, it is. And I think when you when you break it down when you look when you go and look back at the numbers and i know you said not a lot of attempts which is correct if you take out the sack and the three kneel downs they rush for 4.9 yards per carry you know yeah. we talk about that 4.2 number that gundy preaches spencer sanders 6.4 and dom richardson 6.8 nine carries for 61 yards i i think that overall on the offensive line the pass protection like you said i thought it was solid at times the run blocking looked decent at times, but I think overall it needs to be better. And 
I, I think if we just run through the first team offensive line, just I, just to get both of our takes on some of these guys, since it's all we've talked about all offseason, but Caleb Etienne, Gundy gave him a C. I wanted to get your thoughts on him. Mm. What I wrote down is in pass pro, sometimes he looked dominant. Yeah. And other times he got blown right by and it almost looked like he was taking a playoff. One kind of caveat to that is he did play every single snap, I believe, at left tackle. Yeah, no, he played all of the snaps at left tackle. Nobody else came in there. Uh, even with the Gunner Gundy offense, he was still out there at left tackle. So it's a lot of snaps for a guy that we know has had some, con- not conditioning issues, but needed to get into shape last season. It just, you know, he was a little slow at times. And Oklahoma State is running a lot of seven-man protections, keeping right. the running back in, keeping the Cowboy back in, which I'm fine with because I think the receivers, and Spencer Sanders is smart enough, and the receivers are dynamic enough to get open. I mean, we saw it plenty of times. You know, when they're going tempo, Spencer's coming up there, and, you know, it's a zone run called, and he's throwing the fade route to Braden Johnson because he <laughs> sees – the safety has no idea what's going on. They're running tempo. And that's a straight up Spencer Sanders call. Oh you know, yeah. That's not, that's not that, like he has the option, but that's not the play call. So he's able to kind of work around some of the issues with the run game and, and the run blocking. But I think overall it needs to get better. And I, I think it starts with Caleb Etienne. I think he's got to be more dominant. He's such a big guy. It just looked like at times he was, like I said, tired and taking plays off, which I'm not faulting him for. I thought overall, like Gundy said, he was average, but what were your thoughts on him? Man, I, th- I thought early on he looked really, really good. I noticed some of the things you're talking about, but I, I think I think part of it could be like a, a play every single snap in an extremely high tempo um, type of offense. And I'll say this, he looks like he's dropped a ton of weight. He looks like he's in much better shape. But I'm sure game speed's a little different. So um, I thought early on, though, he looked very good. And I thought in general, the pass protection of the offensive line, which was the hot button last year, was better than I remembered it at most points in the year last year. Like, I I think the Notre Dame game was very good. Bedlam was very good for the most part. Um, I thought this weekend was was phenomenal, um, you know, outside of a couple of hiccups here and there. But, you know, you asked me about Caleb Etienne. I thought early on he looked good. As the game wore on, you started to see some cracks. But hopefully that irons itself out as the year goes on. Um, I, I still think Central Michigan is going to end up being one of the better teams we play, maybe the best team in the non-conference. Um, not to put the cart before the horse as we talk about Arizona State later. I just I have a lot of respect for Arizona State, and I think they had some talent on the defensive line, but as you said, just not nearly enough to uh, to give Oklahoma State many significant issues in the pass game uh, on the line. So yeah, and I, I think that's fair. And I'm not trying to be negative on Etienne. I, I just I think he has. I think I can see the potential is there, though. Like we he said, he looks like Russell just, Okun. He's humongous. Yeah. I think I think he's going to be good. I just I thought I, I wanted a little bit more, and I think I but I think we'll see it. I'm not not getting down on him there. Materko at uh, left guard. I think Gundy said he gave him like a B B minus. He actually run blocked pretty well yeah. at times, and he might have been the only one that I thought kind of struggled in pass pro, and it but. It wasn't leading to sacks. It was more the fact that he was just kind of getting blown backwards off the ball back into Spencer. And I'm just a little bit worried when we play some of the teams like Baylor, 
other teams like that with these bigger, strong defensive linemen, that that's going to be more of an issue. But overall, I thought Maturka was okay. So I, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with some of his play. Again, I wrote in my notes, I'm looking at him right now of him getting beat several times, but I, I think, you know, I had expectations set kind of low for Matirko. Not that I thought he was a bad player, just from what I had seen. And I actually thought he played okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Pass protection looked good. I, I've still got highlights on in front of me as, as we're talking, just so I can jog my memory. I mean, there wasn't many plays I felt like he was uh, one of the low men on. You know what I mean? Like, there's there wasn't very many where he stuck stood out as like, oh, yikes, Taylor. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I thought he had a pretty good game and was probably better than I was anticipating at that left guard spot. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of my point too. Wilson, he is so good when yes. there's no zero tech at at just being the center, being the helper in pass pro. You know, like kind of passing off stunts. Him and Materico did that a couple of times. Him kind of dropping back and helping when either of the guards would get beat and just kind of moving around, keeping his eyes everywhere. Obviously, he's calling out the you know, the protection scheme and everything up front. So I thought that was great. The only thing I get worried about with him is in run in run blocking. He sometimes doesn't get much of a push. And again, against Central Michigan, it's not as big of a deal. But when you're going up against Sione Ica, that's where it maybe becomes a problem. He struggled a little bit with that zero tech true nose when Central Michigan would go to it. I think... I think that, I mean, it's not a technique thing. It's not an effort thing. I just, you know, I, I think some of these guys may be a little bit stronger than him, but it wasn't every play. It was just a couple of times. I thought Wilson overall was really good. I'd I, probably give him like B plus, A minus. I, I thought he was the best offensive lineman on, on Thursday. I thought that, I mean, the, the play that sticks out to me is the screen pass touchdown uh, to Jaden Nixon. If you go back and watch that, he's out to the sideline with, with Jaden Nixon yeah. making that last key block to spring him free for a touchdown. It's it's all you can ask for in a play like that. And I thought he was as good as I had hoped in both pass and run. And I would agree with what you said about, about those kind of one-offs. But yeah, I thought he was probably hands down the best offensive lineman on Thursday. He He kind of stood out to me. We don't have to stay too long on Hunter Woodard. I thought he played well. I expected him to play well. A couple misses here, a couple, couple plays where he dominated people. Um, I, unless you have any other takeaways, nope. we, I think we can skip through Hunter because I think he was pretty good. He's he's what you would expect, though, with a guy with his experience at this point in his career. He needs to be that. He just needs to be reliable, and I, I thought he was. And then Springfield, I, I think it was just kind of what – I expected from him. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. He got beat in pass, pass pro a few times, but he had help on chip blocks and things like that at that right tackle spot. You know, when he's kicking out on some of the zone runs, he does his job. But when he's asked to actually make a push on some of the zone runs, he he struggles at times. I didn't think he was terrible. But, Kate, this is where I want to bring in one of the guys who wasn't a starter. I know we were just going through the starters, but I thought Jason Brooks was really good in run blocking. I thought he was really good. There was one play specifically, I believe I put it on the film breakdown. Him and Mahalski blow their dudes up. And I think it was Dom's longest run of the day. I think it was like 18 yards for Dom. That's fantastic. And I just think, I think Jason Brooks is needs to slot in there for Springfield. He did have some issues moving his feet in pass pro. He's a little slow, but I think if he's that much better in the run blocking game, I, I think you got to move him in there for Springfield. 
Well, do you think that they rotate him in a little bit heavier based on what we saw? I mean, do you think this Arizona State game may demand that? I think so. I, I think he's just, I think he's one of the five best linemen on the team. So I think if he would have gotten here with enough time to kind of get the offense and just learn everything, I think he would be in the starting lineup. So I think we see it. You know, he was my call to be a guy that makes it into the starting rotation before conference play when we did that sup- superlative. And I still see that. I, Maholski played okay as well, but um, I thought I think he did good. He played a little bit of center too with the Gunner Gundy led offense. Um, but I thought Brooks was great. I, all, all in all, just back on the run blocking, K, because I know that was your point at the beginning of this. They just got to do a better job of getting off those double teams and getting to the linebackers because, I, and this is going to segue us into the running backs on accident, but <laughs> I, like Dom and Nixon are just, they're not great one on one make you miss guys. Dom wants to run through you, Jaden's got the speed. So the offensive line has got to do a better job of getting up to the second level and getting on these linebackers. They just didn't do that at much at all against Central Michigan. I think that was the main fault of the run blocking. It's extremely different than Jalen Warren, who was one of the most difficult running backs to bring down in space that I can remember uh, at Oklahoma State. He, I mean, maybe up there with a Kendall Hunter in that regard. Just it takes multiple guys to get him down, and Oklahoma State just right now doesn't seem to have that. But I I really liked what I saw out of both of them. I thought all I needed to see was that Dominic Richardson came in and was clearly RB1. That's what he was to me. He's bi- he's just big, and he's strong, and he's physical. Um, and I think he can make up with those qualities. I think he can make up for some of the deficiencies that the offensive line has. He may not make you miss, but he might run through you. Um, and you know the, the only issue there is, one, can he hang on to the ball? Two, can he stay healthy? But Jaden Nixon is a burner, and they got to figure out a way to get him the ball in space. I love the screen game, but there are more ways to get your running back involved in the pass game. I think he had a couple of catches. I, I think if he's going to play any considerable amount of snaps, which he will, they've got to figure out a way to get him involved more because I think in open field, he's extremely dynamic. Yeah, I agree 100%. And Kind of my take on, and I, I love both those breakdowns of both those guys. I, I think my take on Dom, I was talking a little bit with Adam Lunt on this, um, our fr- our friend of the pod, Adam Lunt. He's just not the best always at kind of finding that seam, which yeah. is what Jalen Warren excelled at and why he's RB2 for the Steelers right now. As a rookie, yeah. Yeah, but he will run through people. And, he, you know, Gundy says the main thing he's working on is being more elusive. So he's got a little bit of that. He'll run through people. He's smart. He just doesn't always make the best cut. And if he can just clean that up a little bit, I think he could be a really good running back. With Nixon, you know, the the first I think it was his first run. I thought he made I thought he made a poor cut. I, I didn't think that was as much on the offensive line. I mean, they didn't help him out. If I'm remembering the correct run, the touchdown was great. Like you said, he's great in the open field. But you know, there was another run later where Seven guys are blocked, and it's him one-on-one with the linebacker, and he just runs directly into him. Like I said, you want the offensive line to break off and block the linebacker, but you know you make can't block everybody. And if it's one-on-one, you got to be able to make this guy miss. And Nixon is not big enough to run through them. Right. And so I just, I just don't really – got to get more from, from both of those guys. And I think they – I would probably give – 
Dom a B minus B because he pass protected so well. He's such an aggressive pass protector too. Like he wants to hit people. But man, Nixon, I'd probably give more like a C, C minus. I, I just want to see more from those two guys. So what you're saying is Ollie Gordon's spin move made your knees weak. That's what you're saying. Are we going to spend 20 minutes on Ollie Gordon's spin move? I don't think so, but <laughs> it was a little more elusive than anything else we saw from the running back room that day, wasn't it? So here is, here's my thing with Ollie. I have no, I have no way to break him down with his He, he, he had the ball, what, twice? Yeah, minimal amount of snaps, but... I believe that his snap count is going to continue to increase. Um, that's just a rumor that has been floated around near where my ears were. <laughs> so I think his I think his snap count continues to I'm not saying he's gonna go to like 40 snaps next game, but I don't think Ollie Gordon getting in late was just Ollie Gordon getting in late. I think we're gonna start to see him a little bit more. And I think if Dom if Dom plays like he did in that game, I think that's really good. But it, like, if if you don't see more from a Jaden Nixon or something like that, I, I think Ollie's going to start taking snaps from people. I'll say this about him because it's really the only thing you can take from uh, you know carrying the ball twice. He's bigger than I expected. Somehow, he's faster than I expected, and and the spin move as as much as for whatever reason it went viral. Uh, as great as it is, it does show that there's some fleet of footedness there to where I just want to see more. I want to see more Ollie Gordon. I think the offense can use him. I mean, he stands next to Spencer like Derrick Henry. Like he looks so so big. And I, I'm just excited to see more of him. Yeah, so am I. I. I really am as well. And Zach Middleton got in there for that for those 23 personnel. Yeah, I guess scored I in my end that, zone. Yep. Yeah, this the Saints called that play. G lead. So the it's kind of like the down G I was talking about. The play side guard will pull and block. He'll kick out the edge defender. And then the fullback, who was Middleton on that play, will just lead through the hole in a little zone blocking scheme. Well, is that the for the rest? Is that the play they scored on with Richardson in the other end zone, too? So the other time they ran it, I think it was the same play, but Matirko gets his legs taken out from under. Oh. So he like wasn't able to pull. <laughs> so well, I was not, just wondering. I'm not one hundred percent sure. Where did I was wondering if that play got lost in Dallas last year, or if it wasn't in the playbook? Because well, that's what Gun. That that's what Gundy said. I think Marshall Scott from PFB asked him about it in the presser, and he said that they're trying to work more on that short yardage situation to figure out ways where they can gain a yard. So wow, I, I liked it, and I, I like Middleton. He's a do it all guy. I'm glad he came back from that concussion, and he's all healed up and everything. But Dunn said, just back on Ollie real quick before we move to wide receivers, th this is a Dunn quote. He said, I thought they were good. I think Dom Richardson played really well. I like to see how Ollie Gordon showed up because we're going to need him. I, oh, He's going to get more snaps, and I, I think he should. I, I think unless, unless Dom and Nixon kind of pulled themselves away from everybody else, I think you got to put more guys in. I've heard DeAndre Jackson may be available this weekend. I think it's still Whew. up in the air. I think he's cleared his end of the deal. Gundy said as much as well, but it's, I, I doubt he'll, I don't know if he'll play a bunch, but I, I think it should be cleared up pretty soon is what I've heard. Well, that would be fantastic. I mean, add two more to the running back room and who knows what could happen. I'm excited. Dustin, just to kind of wrap up the uh, offensive side of the ball, let's talk wide receiver and cowboy back. Uh, I, I thought the receivers were as advertised and, and the highlight to me 
I mean, it's Braden Johnson. He looks fantastic. He just looks better. Yeah, and Kate, actually, I, I was meaning to text you and I forgot. There's a Casey Dunn quote talking about Braden Johnson and how he wanted to play on the outside and Dunn sees him as more of an inside guy, which is oh, what you and I said kind of all off-season. I know we've talked about with some other friends of the pod off, but man, when you get him on those double move plays, when he's able to burn past yeah. on that one pass, which Spencer dropped that ball perfectly in between the safety and the corner right there. But that move that he put on that DB, that's what Braden Johnson can do. That's that's why they put him at Z. And that's why I think both of us said he's probably going to be, if not the leading receiver, top two on this team. And we were pretty confident about it, even after not seeing him play, because we know that he has that part of his game. And the speed and the ability to make those moves is just unmatched. Yeah, the, the sluggo that he ran and you put that dude through the washing machine, but it also was one of those examples, quick recognition from Spencer Sanders. They got up to the line and I pointed it out from where we're sitting. We get a great vantage point where I sit uh, at this point. I'm going to, somebody's going to throw a tomato at me because I keep telling people where I sit, but we get a great vantage point from, of the play and, and you can easily see there's really nobody shaded over to Braden's side. And you don't know what they're going to do, but they get right up to the line and it is, it's sluggo and gone. And uh, I mean, a great throw from Spencer Sanders. Braden Johnson is an electric route runner. He's also extremely, he just seems like he's in fantastic shape and can run with this offense. And I know a lot of these guys can, but it seems like he was kind of made for that position, which is strange. Even as we talked about all off season, once you see him out there, it's like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and you see it, you know, Gundy and Dunn made such a big deal about these young receiver core last year and, you know, how like Boise State, just issues that they had having to rotate in these young guys. But you see it now with these more experienced guys, the Braden Johnson, John Paul Richardson haven't played, Brennan Presley, Owens, even Bryson Green, who didn't get a lot of playing time last year. But being in this system with Spencer, when they're going tempo, Spencer is so comfortable and knows this offense so well. You know, Dunn's calling the formation, but he's giving Spencer options on these plays, and Spencer's making the call himself. He's basically the offensive coordinator out there. And it's fun to watch because he's making good reads, good decisions. And because he's got guys like Braden Johnson, I, I think it just makes him feel more comfortable. I did, I don't know if Braden Johnson loves the 12 personnel diamond formation fade ball. Uh, I think after like the second one, it looked like he he didn't really even try to catch it. <laughs> I don't know. But hey, I don't blame him because I don't love it either. But along with him, John Paul Richardson, I, I don't really know what to say because I think you and I felt like we were maybe overhyping him this offseason. Then he comes out has four catches for 73 yards, a touchdown, and that one huge play. Yeah. Well, 100% on John Paul Richardson, and he ties in perfectly to kind of what I wanted to say here. I think I will never again, and I think as a fan base, we should never again take for granted what it means when a group of young receivers is getting snaps. Like last year, you look back and it's like, God, it's painful that a, a Kale Cabanus 
and a Rashad Owens and a John Paul Richardson and a Blaine Green and a Bryson Green are your go-to options. Like that's what you had last year. And it was painful at times. There's no doubt about it. You may not want that at the time, but then you look up this year and it's like, oh, we're kind of loaded at wide receiver. Like absolutely loaded. And we're not even all that healthy. Like there's a couple of injuries to guys that we haven't even seen yet in Jaden Bray, Blaine Green, who's now at obviously Cowboy back, but you get my point. Like this, this is a loaded wide receiver room. And I think you saw it even on Thursday, just the depth here. Like, I think even I may have underestimated it in the off season because I, I, I think you legitimately have like nine guys who can go. What I will say too about Bryson Green, you brought him up. He looks like he's completely changed his body over the offseason. He he mm-hmm. looks now like he's uh ready to play at that level. And I think he did last year in most cases, except physically, I didn't think he was quite there yet. He looks like a different person out there. And it might be the number nine, but he's lean and tall and really fast. Yeah, I agree. I, I like I loved what Bryson Green did in the game. I think he as I mentioned earlier, I think he could get a little cleaner in his route running timing sure. and just kind of synchronizing with Spencer Sanders, but that'll come. I mean, Jaden Bray's out, as I mentioned earlier, and just to hit on Bray really quick, from what we've heard, it's a thumb injury. It happened a couple weeks ago. Really, the, the kind of max timetable on an injury like that seems to be like four or five weeks. My thoughts, and Cade, let me know if you think any differently, but I think he probably would be good to go next week but I doubt they play him, let him heal over the bye week and bring him back for Baylor. So I wouldn't expect Bray until conference play is my understanding. I could be wrong. No, I, I agree with you just based on kind of what we've, we've heard and uh, just the severity of that injury. I, I would agree. And quite honestly, I think you got enough to get through this stretch three and oh, knock on wood right now. There's no reason to rush him back. Yeah. And the injuries, I know that it's not good to have injuries, but we talked about it last year and even this year, it guys are getting reps at positions that they don't normally play. And it's just making this receiver core more dynamic. Like I don't, I'm not wishing for these injuries, but right. got Rashad Owens, who they're listing as an inside receiver. He came out there and played X. We saw him play inside last year. Heard now he's, I know this is going to make you really happy that he's been getting some reps at Cowboy back in practice. I'm not saying it makes me happy. I'm just saying I called it. Yeah. And, <laughs> The, the thing there, too, on that, I, I keep I keep with these little side tangents. Sorry, I know I'm just rambling. But the, <laughs> the, the cowboy back thing there, I think if Bray wasn't hurt, I think you would have saw what they did with John Paul Richardson, but Owens in that position. When they brought Richardson in at the H-back spot for two plays, the one wow. was the touchdown, and then the other one he stayed in and blocked a five-tech defensive end and <laughs> actually did a really good job. But I think the only reason you don't see Owens there is because Owens actually needs to play receiver as well. And if Bray would have been there, they'd be fine. Like if it would have just playing green out. So if Bray comes back, maybe you see some Owens at Cowboy back. I'm not 100% sure. I liked what John Paul did there. But just the overall dynamicness of this receiver core is just Dynamicosity. Yes. (laughs) And then it, I was a little I was a little depressed to see Langston Anderson only out there for a few snaps. It looked like he had a, a little he had the defensive PI called, which is which is good that he got that called on him. But it looked like he was having a little trouble getting separation. Yeah, you saw Stephon Johnson come out there though. That was I know cool. Dunn said he was going to play. I mean, 
Kid, I don't really have anything else specifically on any of these guys. Receiver-wise, I mean, I know we want to talk Cowboy back for a second, but I, I thought they played really well. You know, cleaning up a couple of things route running-wise. You know, Johnson had the one drop. That ball was thrown a little bit behind him. Owens had the drop. He's got to clean that up. And then Brendan Presley had the kind of drop on that play that they ran like six times that I talked about earlier with the Cowboy back split wide. He's kind of on the line of scrimmage, and the two receivers are off. And it's a it's a wide receiver screen RPO. And I think because Spencer was running out there, Brennan was like, oh, he's just going to run it. And he took his eyes off, Spencer threw it to him. And so I won't really count that one as a drop. But other than that, I think they played really well. Yeah, I thought so too. My my last thought on the wide receivers is we're putting dynamicness on a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt yes. of the week. <laughs> um, I'm uh, I'm not good with words. No, you are. You're great with words. Just it's it, take that as a compliment. Dynamicness <laughs> is fantastic. Um, it's like freak show. You know, that's the thing they call themselves. Dynamicness. They are. We've labeled them. The Cowboy back is a is a fun one for me. I I don't think we saw anything. I mean, and and you tell me if I'm off my off base here. But I think we saw anything out of the normal. What we were kind of expecting. Braden Cassidy is what we expected. I will say this: Jake Schultz, who was supposed to not be in the game, played did the first come quarter. In, played the first <laughs> quarter, caught a pass, and looked really fast doing it. Like he would, he looks like he could play. Yeah, and I actually thought Cassidy did a great job in pass pro as the helper. He always he does. Yeah, him and Dom are so good at uh, getting a shoulder on guys when they're chipping before they go out on their route. It's a great and point. I, I just think, you know, you, you want to see maybe a little bit more from Schultz and Cassidy in the run game, but I don't know how much you're going to ask of the Cowboy back to be like, you know, this dynamic factor in your run game. I think they were helping out. I, I thought, you know, Schultz looked like a new Cowboy back out there, but he played really well. He looked good on the catch. That was awesome. And then Cassidy solid. He was solid last year. I, I mean, I don't know why we would see a drop off in Cassidy. I thought, you know, he was the better cowboy back last year with Logan Carter there. And so I, I, I just think, I think Cassidy's going to be solid. And I don't think I saw too big of a drop off from Schultz. I wouldn't expect them to be very involved in the passing game. I think it would be similar to what we saw in this game. You know, what was it like two targets total, one yeah. for each? I don't think we see them involved. You know, if Blaine Green was out there, it'd probably be different. But I like them as just like kind of a true tight end that will maybe go out to for the pass catch sometimes. But it would be nice to have that pass catching cowboy back out there. But I, I like what these guys both do. I agree with you completely. You said something that I absolutely meant to mention about Dom Richardson, and it's true for Braden Cassidy too. The chipping on those kind of like delayed um routes into the flat where they give Spencer a, a safety valve. They are so good at it. And Dom stands out in that regard. If you go back and watch, he does it several times and it's a, it's a impactful block at that point in the play. Like it has to happen. And he does it. Uh, both of those guys do a phenomenal job of that. But again, I go, I go back to Braden Cassidy at this point in his career should be a, uh, a reliable player and, you love the cowboy back for the pass protection. And I think, again, I don't want to speak for you. That may be why there's some trepidation for a guy like a Rashad Owens to get out there and into a, a bigger role at the cowboy back is because you lose something in pass protection and run blocking. Absolutely agree with that. But I just think Braden Cassidy is definitely your best option there. And, you know, when you've got a healthy Blaine Green, 
the offense does different things at that point. It may not look different, but it does different things. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I would love to have that option out there for sure. I do think it helps, like you said, with a, a more block-heavy Cowboy back with this offense right now who is having some issues run blocking from, from one game that we've seen and you know doesn't have these all-star running backs. So, Which, again, I thought Dom played well. Yeah, I did too. Dustin, anything okay. else on the offense? They got to get better on third down. Um, didn't do very well in terms of percentage. I believe it was... I think they were 25%, 3 of 12, and they averaged 2.8 yards wow. uh, gaining on third downs. Got to get better. They were good on first and second. Uh, you saw a pretty even run pass split when all, when all was said and done. I mean, when you count Spencer Sandals scrambles and things like that in there, 41 attempts passing, 32 rushing. I don't really think there's anything that – I mean, I'm sure we missed something, but – I think, you know, you just got to figure out a way to gain yards when you're not moving fast. You want to keep using tempo because I know Arizona State's coaches and their pregame presser, they're terrified. Herm and Donnie <laughs> Henderson are terrified of the tempo. So um, I think you got to keep doing that. And Spencer Sanders, man, I, I just feel like we didn't even stay long enough on him with some of the passes well. he threw were just incredible. But yeah, I think... I think overall, I, I didn't think it was – I thought it was a good game from the offense. You put up 58 points, and I, I, don't really, I don't really feel negative in any way, really, about this team so far on well, offense. We, we probably didn't spend enough time on Spencer Sanders. I actually wanted to bring him up, Dustin, because I threw a little action down this weekend with prize picks, and we talked about it over on the show last weekend, and I just wanted to uh, – Kind of walk through just real quick because it's funny. This this parlay that I had, I had I had Lou Nichols correct at under 99 and a half rushing yards. I had Dominic Richardson correct at under 87 and a half rushing yards. I did not have Spencer Sanders correct at under 254 passing yards. <laughs> he had 406. <laughs> Which is yeah. a reminder. Yeah, go ahead. I just I mean I think I think they're here to throw it. I think so too. And that's a reminder when you use prize picks and you sign up for the first time and you use our promo code at feels 12, you'll actually get a 100% match on your deposit up to a hundred dollars. So then when you lose, it doesn't feel as bad. No, cause it was free. Thank shout out to prize picks. Again, that promo code feels 12. We actually had a couple of people sign up this weekend. Hopefully you didn't follow my picks, but Dustin, before we get to the defense, I do want to take a quick break and hear a word from Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast.
All right. I've been dying to talk to you about this all week. <laughs> the defense for Oklahoma State, I mean, I think I think is a tale of two halves, of course. And I think it's a tale of two different types of games within those halves. One, uber competitive, blowing them out, like flying around the football in the first half. Second half, probably let off the gas a little bit. Mixing around some rotations, uh, guys that may not normally play together did. Dustin, your your immediate thoughts on the defense as a whole, and then we'll kind of move on into some of the you know position groups. Well, you hit it right there, and you know our guy Lunt that we mentioned earlier, he quote t- tweeted my tweet of the snaps from PFF, the total snaps. Twenty four players saw at least nine snaps in this game. They used thirteen different defensive line groupings. I mean, we saw we saw Cam Smith and Demarco Jones, the backup corners, get in there in the first half. Yeah, and, you know, you said Taylor two halves. That TD drive at the end of the, the end of the second quarter, the ten play seventy five yard TD drive that CMU had. I believe, and I'll need to go back and double check this if I'm if I'm incorrect here. My apologies, but I believe, aside from the defensive line, that it was Nick Martin, Lamont Bishop. At linebackers, so the two backup linebackers, and I believe Jones and Smith were out there. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head who was at safety, but there's four backups. And I think Flanagan was drive. out there. I remember that. Yeah. So, so you know, the, there's their ten play set, and I'm not blaming it just on that. I'm just saying they were trying to get guys out there, get them in game film that they can go in and coach them on later. And I think it was more of kind of getting guys reps, making sure everybody's experienced, preparing for injuries later down the field. Because if some of these starters get injured, the backups have no experience. Because, at, I mean, especially at linebacker, Malcolm and Devin played every single snap last year. Yeah, right. Almost. So I'm not – and again, I know people, like I'm, I'm very positive when I talk about the games – but I think that was kind of my main takeaway is I, it looked like they were making a concerted effort to get guys out there, see what these guys can do in live game action, get that on film and use that for teaching moments going forward. Not saying that like they didn't think these guys were good enough to play. I think they did think that. But, you know, Derek Mason said after the game, he wasn't surprised with some of the issues that they had. So they they want to get these guys out there, get them game reps, get them to learn things. And that... That was kind of my big takeaway, and you know, I like to put my positive spin on stuff, but that, that was kind of the big takeaway for me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, and it, it's kind of why I let off with it. And I'll say this. I don't think everything in the first half was uh, rainbows and butterflies, but I think it was probably better if you go back and watch that game. I think it was probably better than you remember, um, especially in that first half. I, I thought that for the most part, Guys were where they were supposed to be. There were there were a couple that stood out that I'm sure we'll talk about. But for the most part, guys were where they were supposed to be. The physicality up front was there. And I thought Central Michigan had a really nice game plan to try to minimize some of the things that Oklahoma State does best, which is get quarterback or get pressure on the quarterback and and cause issues in the run game. And and I'll say this too. I think Oklahoma State's game plan opened them up to part of what Central Michigan wanted to do in the first place. Like I think Oklahoma State came in there and said, you are not running for 180 yards, Lou Nichols. You will not do it. Uh, and that's why I picked him in the under, uh, just again. But I didn't think that Oklahoma State would let him run the ball. But what it did open him up to is more guys committed in the box, 
that leaves you susceptible when you play a little bit more of a, uh, of a, of a deeper zone to, to get carved up underneath. And I just, I think it, I think it's pretty obvious when you go back and watch that, that alone, but two, I think it's better than you probably remembered in that first half. Yeah. And, and I, I agree. I, like Gundy even said, we thought they were going to come in and, and pound us. Yeah. Double tight and nub formations. That's what you and I thought they were going to do. And we, and like you said, Oklahoma State came out prepared to not let them do that, and they didn't. I mean, if you take out Richardson's, uh, I believe it was, yeah, the two, the two sacks, I think they were at 3.5 yards per carry from the two That's running crazy. backs, but only 2.8 from Lou Nichols. I mean, only 122 total yards on 39 attempts. It, that's counting Richardson, but it's just – it was a completely different game plan. And you know, you and I praised Richardson on the last on the last podcast, saying he's a very smart quarterback and he was fine killing them with a thousand short passes and just kind of working his way down the field. A lot of the stuff releasing the running backs, releasing the tight ends, not keeping them in for protection. I did not see that coming, but it really kind of took Oklahoma State's pass rush out of the game because they were able to fire the ball out quickly. And get the ball. I, Joel Wilson, you know, he we knew he was a good tight end. I thought he played really well. Six catches for 64 yards on eight targets. I just I just think that the underneath crossers, just crossing in front of these young, inexperienced linebackers' faces. You saw, you know, Benson, Cobb, the safeties, they're pointing at these guys, knowing that they're releasing, but it was the confusion on who was picking them up. And when they were in zone, you know, I mean, pretty much all the new guys, you know, even Kendall Daniels, who I thought played a great game, super aggressive, just didn't drop all the way back into his zone at times. And that, you know, the curl, the curl right there, you know, he's supposed to be in that hook curl flat zone. He's not all the way widened out. Richardson makes the throw. I mean, Richardson threw to his first read, like, I don't know. What do you think? Eighty percent of the time, oh, it was just quick timing. Maybe throws. I mean, it's like West Coast offense, just timed routes to the timed quarterback drop. Just throw it there, and yeah. and it worked. And it, Jim McElwain is a good offensive coach. Paul Petrino, Bobby Petrino's brother, has been around the block a few times. These are really good offensive coaches who had all off season to plan against this inexperienced Oklahoma State defense, and they had a great game plan. I completely agree with you there there's a lot of areas for improvement but I, I i think they came in and did something that oklahoma state wasn't expecting to do and i will say this too there aren't a lot of quarterbacks on oklahoma state's schedule i think that can do what daniel richardson just did to oklahoma state i don't i don't know if there are, are enough patient mature offenses in this league to try that to say no, this is how we're going to try to win this game. Jim McElwain's a good coach. You said it. I, I think they came in with a mature game plan with a mature team and executed it well. But, I mean, you go look down the list. I don't know if Baylor wants to dink and dunk Oklahoma State down the field the way Central Michigan did. One, I don't know if they can. I don't know if Oklahoma can do the same thing or if they want to. And then and when you start to ask yourself that question, it's like, okay, well, then how can you beat this defense? Because – I think a lot of what Central Michigan did was that dink and dunk West Coast and then hit you over the top when you're when you're not looking uh late in the third and fourth quarter. So again, I feel better. I feel good about it. There are some things I want to talk about, but I feel good about it. 
Yeah, and I think McIlwain probably just went to some of Derek Mason's coaching clinics when he talks about the top-down right. defense. He knew he could beat him underneath, and he wasn't right. going to let him beat him up top. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, th- those are just kind of the general takeaways. But did you want to go Did you want to go D-line first? I mean, we might as well, but it, it really kind of, to me, plays into what we just talked about. Did not have enough time to make much of an impact. Two sacks, which is is good. It's below the seven I predicted. So <laughs> again, don't don't follow me on prize picks if you if you I mean follow at your own risk. But I just didn't think they had enough time to get to the quarterback. Yeah, definitely there. I mean, the, they kind of schemed them out of the game, which was smart. I think my one takeaway on this defensive line, and not to start out negative, they just they need to be great, and they are great for this Oklahoma State defense to be good. And I didn't think even even taking out the scheme from Central Michigan, I didn't think they were great. I think they need to be a little bit more, not disruptive, but just kind of like, you know, Derek Mason calls it knockback. They need to just get a little bit more knockback. And kid, the reason why I'm saying that is because they the are the elite position group on this defense. And we saw some issues with the linebacker core. So if they are able to hold these offensive linemen up, keep them from the linebackers, the linebackers like like a Xavier Benson, who probably isn't strong enough to take on these offensive linemen, if, if the defensive line can hold these guys up and let the linebackers make plays, then this defense will be clicking all times. And I know I'm asking a lot of the defensive line, but I'm doing that because they are the premier unit on this defense. And I think they need to be able to do that. I totally agree with you. It was disappointing to not see them wreak havoc like we expected. Again, I think part of that's the scheme. I don't. I don't really know if if the ro- the continuous rotation of defensive linemen, the way you laid out earlier in the show, I don't know if that's conducive to constant pressure when you've only got w- one of Brock Martin, Trace Ford, or Colin Oliver on the field at the same time. I think they're holding on to a lot of that too. Like I think if you're like me expecting a lot of highlight plays and sacks early on in the year, it may not be that just based on them trying to figure out what rotations they've got. But like, you know, Oklahoma actually fell into this trap last year of they've got a lot of these defensive linemen that they shuffle in and out and none really stick out because they're just not playing enough. So anyway, I don't take a lot from that because I think the scheme has a lot to play into how Oklahoma State's D-line did. I thought the run defense, the the defensive line played a big part in that, and Tyler Lacey stood out. Uh, I expected him to, but he was fantastic. Lacey was amazing. I I mean, you know, the safety, him and I think it was him and Bishop on that. He gets the sack. He is getting knocked back every yeah. time. I, I mean, there were a few plays when Tyler Lacey really got washed, and he played a lot of snaps. Um, you know, I think he played like 60 snaps, I want to say. But yeah. it, you need him out there, and I, I just think he is the he's the key, he's the best player on the defense. And, you know, you and I had the – I think we both kind of had a hot take that he's going to be a first, second-round draft pick, and if he keeps playing like that, he truly – I think he truly can be. Along with him, I, you know, I thought of C and Evers. They're, they're kind of the guys that I think need to just get a little bit more knockback. And like you laid it out perfectly, like wreak a little bit more havoc. I didn't think they were bad. I still think they're the ones at defensive tackle, but I wanted a little bit more from those guys. But behind them, I liked what I saw from Tua Halamaka 
yeah. and Clay. I thought Colin Clay was good. good. Like, I'm not calling for them to start over a C and Evers, but if they want to rotate them in for 20-ish snaps a game, that's fine with me. Colin looked great, and Samuela was bodying dudes, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, uh, no doubt, no doubt. I, again, I think my takeaway for the defensive line, and then I want to move into linebackers and secondary scheme had a lot to do with it. I am excited this week to see how Arizona State approaches Oklahoma State's defensive line because I think there's probably a little bit of trepidatiousness there, right? And I think that Oklahoma State really has an advantage here against Arizona State this week based on some of the things we've seen. But I do want to move into the linebackers. Kate, we can't skip the Leos. I guess we can't. I'm getting ahead of myself. Why, how could we? How could how could we skip the Leos? I guess I mean they're they're defensive end linebacker hybrids, so I guess we could segue into that. Well, that's what I was but, doing. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, and yeah, on the defensive line, I, I do think Xavier Ross his snaps may start to shrink. Um, I didn't. Well, if think Colin he Clay great, Colin Clay yeah. was really good. That's important. Yeah. So, um, w- w- with the Leos, you know, I think. I think Oliver was good. He got the sack. I think, you know, he was the guy, he was the main guy that kind of got schemed out because he is more of a get to the quarterback third down type of guy and not so much, you know, power run stuffer kind of, kind of guy. So I think that was the main thing kind of schemed him out. I like trace Ford out there. I think he got 20 something snaps. He, you know, he looked like a guy coming off of two serious knee injuries. He looked a little timid at times. And then for Martin, Martin will like will do the disruption. He will cause chaos, but sometimes he kind of gets out of his assignment. Yep. And it leads to guys getting free run at Xavier Benson and Mason Cobb, Lamont Bishop and Nick Martin. And I, I just don't know if that's the best method for this defense. I'd love for Brock to be a little bit more sound, but then, you know, I say that and then he's making a play, like the next play just kind of you know, just being so smart. Him and Malcolm Rodriguez had such a good connection together. They knew what each other were doing at all times. We saw it in several OSU Max videos, them talking about that. And it's just not there with this linebacker core yet. I think it will get there, but it's going to be a little bit of a learning experience. Well, and him and Cobb tended to play on opposite sides of each other. So yeah. I kind of expected Cobb to be the Malcolm Rodriguez of this defense. Like that's such a bad way to put it. But I felt like, Harper was slotting into that type of role like as a player and Cobb was going to be the more cerebral, physical, run-stopping linebacker of the group. But they tend to play on the other side of each other a lot. I noticed it. Uh, yeah, you know, Benson is actually playing Benson is actually playing that weak side linebacker spot that Malcolm would play. And Cobb is more of your middle linebacker strong side. So yes, you're 100% right on that call out. Yeah. I've seen kind of several people say, you know, Mason is stepping into this Malcolm role, but I, I think it's, I think it's actually more of Benson. And I think that's what cause is causing some of the issues. Like we talked about and and Kate, I mean, we can kind of talk about linebackers while we're talking about Leo, since we brought it in. I, you mentioned Cobb, the 11 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss in the first half. I thought he was like, I don't really <laughs> want to give anybody an a, but I thought he was a level in the second half. You know, everybody kind of just had some mistakes and some lapses, but man, he looked amazing in the first I, half. I think if you, I mean, you want to give like a uh, like a, a a game ball out. I think you go Spencer Sanders on the offense, and I think you go Mason Cobb on the defense. I thought 
the first series that dude was flying around he looked ready to go he didn't look scared um against a really physical football team and i think that alone bodes really well for him i thought he was in the right spot constantly and that's really one of the things i was concerned about with the linebacker group and i think showed itself a little bit with xavier benson but you know, back to Mason Cobb. I just thought that that opening series, even I think he had three tackles alone on that series, uh, two solo. Just he he looked fantastic, and I can't wait to see how he grows because I think I think he's a really good player and is probably he may be better in coverage than I was expecting. I think he's pretty good. Yeah, I thought he played awesome. You can tell he's out there trying to be the leader. And I think, you know, obviously that'll come with him just getting more game experience, but he's a really, he's probably one of the better tacklers on the team. And something interesting about the linebackers as well, I, I mentioned it on the on the film breakdown on Twitter. They took Thomas Harper off the field and replaced him with Lamont Bishop multiple times, kind of going with a more 4-3 look. And I I don't think... I don't think our I don't remember Knowles doing that because he was kind of a four two he was a four two five background. I don't remember and then, got, and then he went to more three down stuff, like true three down at times, and then he has the Leo, but I don't remember him going three true linebackers. I don't uh, definitely remember not last it ever. season. No, I yeah. don't remember it ever. So that that was something interesting. I I mean Mason kind of, you know, moving playing around with the linebacker depth, mugging a linebacker, having him up on the line of scrimmage. I saw times where Mason Cobb was almost like seven yards off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. That was something he did at Vandy and Auburn. And it just, you know, it, it can give, if they're off the line, it can give them more time to read and react, which, you know, a guy like Xavier Vinson might need. And mugging them up close kind of just causes a little more, bit more disruption in the run game. So I do like that he's playing things there. I mean, overall, I, I think Benson was below average. Overall, yeah. in his performance, you see the athleticism. You see why he's starting when he's making those plays on the edge. He's just got to get better at reading and reacting in the middle. It's just a little timid. Thought Nick Martin looked really athletic out there, but he looked lost at times. I thought Bishop, in what they were asking him to do as that third linebacker, it looked like he was normally lining up to the field side. Did okay, but when he was in there as the true linebacker spot, he also looked lost a little bit at times as well. And I thought Cobb was head and shoulders better than the other three. I agree. And that's just got to get cleaned up. I I mean, I especially with, with Benson, I, I was – you go back and watch that first half. I mean, he's constantly getting washed up in some of the gap scheme that, that Central Michigan was doing. I mean, I, I know he's got an assignment, but he was not as physical as I expected. Um, to cause issues in that gap scheme. It was really and like slow reaction time along with that physicality. Yeah. Too. And I don't want to harp on one guy, but he's just vitally important to the success of this defense as a whole, I think. And he's really good. We he know is he's good. He is, he is really good. He's really athletic. But I mean, where did Central Michigan go when they needed yardage? This is usually right in the middle of the defense. And we haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, I, I think it would have been foolish for us to expect no drop off after Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez, but it was noticeable to me. And I, I went back and watched and it was a lot of times it was slow reaction in coverage and in the run game from Xavier Benson. So I, I, I hope that they're able to, I hope that's like a confidence thing that's easily coachable um, because I think I'm agreeing with you. It was 
slow reaction time, both in run and pass that constantly led him to kind of tailing the play. Yeah. And I mean, it's not what you want in a linebacker. So, yeah. And some of the coverage stuff from the linebackers, you know, we've talked about, yeah, they were in man a lot early and then they went to more zone when, when Jones and Cam Smith were out there, it looked like they were mainly playing zone. Um, I noticed that going back to the rewatch and then because central Michigan was hitting on those short, quick routes to the outside, they kind of started playing some more Tampa two with the cornerbacks in the flats that, and the reason why that's different from cover two is the linebacker kind of takes that like deep middle. So you saw Cobb or Bishop or somebody running kind of back over the middle, but it, it just, it seemed like in zone not everybody knew exactly where their drop was. And it seemed like in man, you would see Nichols or Bailey or Wilson for CMU just kind of run out to the flat free. Nobody there, like free release out there. And I think that's just confusion on who kind of has that man and if it's in zone where they need to be in that zone. And it it honestly, now that we're on to kind of defensive backs too, it just it might be Mason doing a little bit too much too early with this defense. You know, we saw Jim Knowles defense able to do so much because they had everybody on the defense was 25 years old, but with these younger guys, you may need to simplify it a little bit more. I mean, maybe even play a little bit more man, but again, you know, you saw with the crossers that led to some confusion, but I just, I think maybe they're trying to do a little bit too much in the defensive backfield at times. And I just, I'm not really sure the best way to correct it because I didn't think that I thought Corey and Jabbar were great, but you could see the safeties and the linebackers having some issues on kind of where to be, who to cover. Well, I mean, now that we're on defensive backs, I can finally ask you, I mean, your, your first uh, dance with Kendall Daniels, was it everything you were expecting and hoping for? (laughs) Man, he, (laughs) he was so fast. He didn't seem scared. I, obviously, like I called him out earlier, he he was in the wrong place a few times. He actually, I think, you know, we talked about tackling. I think he had the most missed tackles, but I think all three. I think he had three. PFF has him at three. I think all three of them were behind the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, <laughs> and they still tackled that guy. Yeah. So I, I thought he was awesome. The thing is, though, Kate, <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on him, but before I throw it back to you. I thought Shawn Michael Flanagan was good too. He was very good. These guys are playing the same position. Well, is he them to different positions? Yeah, right. Is he the kid? He was committed to Arkansas at one point, right? Like a a long time ago. I'm pretty sure. So he's been like a big time special teams guy. He got in a little bit last year at safety, but those two at that bandit safety, I I mean, that, that might be the best one, two punch at, any safety, any of the three safety spots. Yeah. Can he not come in for that? Like Harper role? I mean, I know they asked Harper to do a ton in coverage, so I don't know if Flanagan has that, but I agree with you. They got to figure out a way to get both of them on the field at the same time with a Jason Taylor. I just don't know how you do that because I think Harper and Flanagan are such different players. I, I don't know what that looks like. What would you think of Daniels? What was what was your kind of takeaway? Um, I th- I think Wild Thing is an apt <laughs> way to describe him. He and and that's honestly probably not even a, a great way to say it because I thought he looked like a leader of the defense already. Like he was one of the guys that was 
in the right spot most of the time. And there were a lot of guys in the wrong spot. Like that's something that I, stood out to me live. It was like, there's a lot of guys running around before the snap that don't look like they know where they're going. Daniels wasn't always one of those guys. I thought when he came up in the run game, he was at his best. Like when he came up in the box, they put him up real close to the line of scrimmage a bunch at, at the line of scrimmage multiple times. And I thought he was at his best when he was up there. Um, but also, I mean, man, it's striking how much they move him around the field. I mean, he's playing they moved center. all the safeties around a lot. That's what I'm saying. I think they might have been doing a little too much. <laughs> well, I, I would agree with that because if you go back and look, I think there's one play where where uh, Kendall is up on the line of scrimmage and the next play he is playing center field with a three deep like secondary. And it's like, okay, that's a lot of movement for a young guy that's getting his feet wet. So I agree with your compare with your uh, assessment. I just thought he was as advertised and he looks like he looks like somebody we've not really ever had before out there playing defense. Any of the pick, I mean, coach Mason kind of downplayed it, you know, and, Bad throw. Him to make a play. Make a play if the ball hits him in the face, and he <laughs> hit him in the face. So he caught it. <laughs> I mean, I, I that was awesome. Like that, just that he got a pick. I mean, you know, we talked about him being one of the guys who will probably be up there at team well, leading interceptions. So here's the I, thing. I thought that was awesome. With how much they pull him in, uh, just in game one, they pull him into the into the lower part. He of didn't the even start either. <laughs> <laughs> that he's gonna have like a Jason Taylor style pick six on one of those jumped passes here pretty soon. And it may be this weekend because they bring him way up in the scheme. And I think he's going to, I think he's just going to be one of those kind of home run type of hitters. So I thought he was great. Yeah. I thought the defense as a whole, again, was better than you remember, but not as good as maybe we had hoped. Is that yeah, fair? And, and I, you know, like I said, black and, uh, Black and Muhammad played really good. I thought the Central Michigan wide receivers made a lot of good catches. You know, we didn't even mention much the Central Michigan pre-snap motion. That was probably confusing the linebackers as well and the safeties. They did a lot of that, which they did on film. So that was something that they did do on film that they brought in. But I want to see more from Cam Smith at corner. I'm glad he got out there. The missed tackles. He looked a little shaky in coverage. I thought DeMarco Jones looked good. Ray Gay got in. Harper, we touched on him. You know, Joel Wilson's a good tight end, but he was killing Thomas on those out routes. And I, I think I love Thomas's physicality in coverage. I, you know, I don't want him to get called for defense pass interference, but I do like that he's that physical. I think he's just got to be a little bit quicker, just a little bit quicker. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I thought that Muhammad was the best corner out there. I, I thought that also one of the things that stood out to me is Central Michigan's receivers made two or three like whoa type of catches. Yes. That really inflated things for me. Like if you go back and watch, I mean, there's one where the receiver is just kind of falling down into the sideline and the ball lands in his hands. I mean, you credit that to quarterback play, great catch by the receiver. But I mean, there, a lot of times, wasn't a whole lot that the secondary was doing incorrectly. It's just better play by the receiver. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the way I saw it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I think next week or this week when they go against Arizona State, I think you're going to see some things cleaned up. I still think you'll see some things, you know, some busted plays, some busted coverage. It's just going to be a learning experience. But I do think this defense has the potential to be good. 
I agree with you completely. I won't ask you the question I want to ask you because I'll ask it to you when we get to Arizona State. After we say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Price Buckley with Edward Jones. Price is a fourth generation in his family to graduate from Oklahoma State University, and he loves working with fellow alumni. Price uses a personalized approach to build a custom investment strategy tailored to your unique goals and circumstances so that you can turn your ideal future into a reality. You can reach Price at 469-757-0290 or on his website at edwardjones.com forward slash price hyphen Buckley. That's spelled B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. All right, Dustin, welcome back. Um, happy to welcome you back to your own podcast. But we are <laughs> Thank you. going to preview the marquee game of this non-conference slate, which is the Arizona State Sun Devils opening up a home-and-home home series in Stillwater. I mean, Dustin, there's a lot of storylines with this Arizona State team. Forks up. Is that what it is? Forks up or something like that, which is kind of <laughs> cool. One of the biggest schools in the United States, very easy to get into is what they say. I don't know if that's true. I didn't apply, but that's what they say. And it seems like it would be a lot of fun to go there. It also seems like it would be a lot of fun to go there during COVID as a football. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they are coming in with a little bit of um, weight around their neck. Um, some some you know allegations uh, in the offseason about COVID improprieties and things like that that we won't get into, but they've lost they lost 17 players to the transfer portal, five of which were wide receivers. So it definitely had an impact on their roster as a whole. And uh, you know, Dustin, to me, when I went back and watched, they obviously just come off a win at 40 to 3 against Northern Arizona University. Not a lot you can glean from that, but they do welcome in uh transfer quarterback Emory Jones from Florida as Jaden Daniels now at LSU, who we just watched the other night, I think two extremely similar quarterbacks. We'll get to both of them here in a little bit, but led by Herm Edwards, which is, it's kind of cool, right? It's like, I don't know. Play to win the game. Yeah. You play to win the game. Right. And uh, we actually got a question about that later and we'll, we'll touch on that, but um, an interesting team, nonetheless, in the Arizona state sun devils coming into Stillwater this weekend. I, I think there's a lot of storylines, but I mean, let's just start with the offense. Yeah, and Herm kind of had them on a little bit of an upward trajectory. You know, they were winning eight-ish games and then the whole recruiting thing during COVID that you talked about. But, you know, kid, you said the 17 transfers, then they lose defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce, offensive coordinator Zach Hill, tight ends coach Adam Brenneman, and wide receivers coach Prentice Gill, and secondary coach Chris Hawkins were fired. The other three resigned. So not only do they lose 17 players, they lose both coordinators, they lose their receivers coach and their secondary coach and their tight ends coach, along with all those receivers. So they brought in a bunch of transfers. Their whole team is made up of transfers. It's really hard to get a lot of film out of the Northern Arizona game. No offense to Northern Arizona, but they are very bad at football. The Lumberjacks watched that game. It was complete domination. And, you know, when we get into the scheme breakdown, we'll talk about a couple of things that Arizona State's doing a little bit different this year, but we've only seen one game against a really bad team. So I put some film out there on the offense. I'm probably not going to do it on the defense. They won 40 to three and they were up 24 to three, like in the middle of the second quarter and just kind of went super vanilla on defense. So on offense, you know, they can, they can run the football a little bit. Their new offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas, he was just at UNLV offensive coordinator and QB coach there. He's been around the block, been in the NFL kind of a multiple offense with kind of a pro style feel. They huddle 
a lot, which is very different than the tempo Oklahoma State has done recently. They like to do a lot of drop back play action passing. They'll go under center. They'll go with a fullback. I put out some images of them in 21 personnel with one of their tight ends at actually at fullback in the backfield. Outside zone scheme is what this seems to be kind of their bread and butter. They do, will do some gap stuff as well, though. I saw them you know, run some pin and pull. They ran GT counter. They're not really, it's not so much a quick passing game, but Emory Jones is does run the RPOs pretty well. They ran a lot of RPOs, some pre-snap and some even post-snap reading during the mesh. They get the quarterback run game involved. And I actually thought Jones looked pretty comfortable. They ran the ball 49 times. Um, and it, that was just kind of what they were wanted to do. And that's what they've wanted to do when Herm Edwards has been there. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of see what they do in this game, but against Northern Arizona, it was a lot of under center. It was a lot of running the football and it wasn't asking Emory Jones to do too much. And I wonder if that's what we see against Oklahoma state. I'm going to say probably not, but I would agree with you. I was surprised when I went back and watched them, how little they were in the gun. I think I've, I've watched a lot of Arizona state football over the years and when they were, it was RPO. It was almost like yeah, they right. told you they were running RPO if they were in the gun. Yeah, it's a great point because they primarily operate under center. If you go back and listen to the Mike Gundy radio show, asked Mike Gundy, Dave Hunziker did, ask Mike Gundy about how much Arizona State goes under center. They think, I mean, Mike Gundy said they won't have played a team that goes under center more than Kansas State back when Bill Snyder first took over. This is the team yeah. that goes under center more than them. Like that's that's what you're going to see. It's going to be a completely different style of football than you're expecting. And it's hard to make those quick throws that Richardson was making off a one step drop under center. So I, I think maybe we see more gun in this game if they try to go with the same thing. But like I mentioned, Herm Edwards wants to run the football, and you brought up a point during our CMU review about Baylor and some of these other teams. Are they going to change their offensive identity just to attack this one? part of Oklahoma State's defense, or are they going to say, hey, I'm going to run my offense, obviously throw some wrinkles in, but I'm going to run my offense and try to beat you with my offense. So I would expect Arizona State still tries to run the football. I, I mean, Herm Edwards in his press conference this week talked about running the football. They want to run the football. They got two, They got a guy in the portal who we talked about a bunch, and he goes by X, but Xavier Valade from Wyoming, he was – someone you and I really wanted Oklahoma state to pick up. He had over a hundred yards in this first game looked a little slow at first, just kind of getting his legs under him, but he's a really good running back. And then former four-star recruit, Daniel Ngata looked awesome as well. When he was out there, they were running a lot of the counter and pin and pull stuff. And then even freshman Tevin white, not even talking about Emory Jones at quarterback and his ability to run it, but those guys can all run the football I think they're going to try to run the football. They have, they've just lost um, Joey Ramos, who was their right tackle, and Des Holmes, who he was starting for, is questionable for the game. So a little bit of trouble at their right tackle spot. Along with that, on their offensive line, Ladarius Henderson, their left guard, is kind of the leader. Him and Ben Scott are two like the only guys that returned on the team from last year that played. So a little bit of question marks on the offensive line, but they're decent. At, at receivers, I'd keep an eye on Andre Johnson, but they kind of spread it around in the Northern Arizona game and they lost so many guys. I have no idea who's the going to be the guy to step up. I liked what I saw from Messiah Swenson, the tight end. He is more of a pass catching tight end. And then they have kind of a fullback tight end. It's a Missouri transfer. 
those are kind of the guys I keep an eye out for. You'll de- you'll also see Ocho Cinco's son out there, Chad Johnson yeah. Jr. He'll rotate in a little bit at their Z spot, but those you think are kind Ocho's of Ocho's going to be watch. at the game. That would be sick. I mean, those are kind of the names, Cade, to watch for. But I, you know, it's there's not a lot to get out of that Northern Arizona game. So it's I'm not trying to make excuses, but it's a little bit hard to do a full full breakdown on them. Well, I mean, you just got an hour and 20 about Central Michigan. So if you were yeah. wanting another hour and 20 about Arizona State, you're going to have to subscribe to the upcoming Patreon. Uh, just kidding. But no, well, Chase, I do want I do I, want your thoughts on Emory Jones. Though. Yeah, I, that I would th- be. I think he's a guy we need to hit on. I totally agree. And it's actually where I was going back to. I think he strikes me as a a one read and go quarterback. And I don't mean that like in any derogatory way. I think he's at his best when he either throws it quickly or gets out of the pocket and moves because there was that play action deep ball. He throws it pretty well. Yeah, he does throw it well. Um, hundred percent agree with you, but when the play isn't immediately there is when I think some of the things that Oklahoma state can take advantage of start to show themselves. He pats the ball a lot. I don't know if you noticed that. It's it's like a pump fake, but it's almost like he was 99% sure he was going to throw it. Yeah, like there's some indecisiveness or something going on there that against Northern Arizona you can get away with, but against his the feet past, are happy too. Happy feet. Jumpy. I mean, and and patting the ball is usually the thing that I'm looking for for like this okay, this guy is a little bit indecisive. He's a little bit nervous. Um, I think Oklahoma State can exploit a little bit of that, and I don't know if that's just the way he plays. But I didn't. No, that was it. his issue at Florida. His yeah. his decision making was his issue. I, I mean, he looked good when he was backing up Trask, and then when they asked him to be the full time starter, his decision making was kind of his downfall. And I, he honestly looked pretty good decision wise on RPOs and some going off the first read a little bit. Besides the jumpiness and the ball padding against Northern Arizona, but. That's against this Northern Arizona team, who I, I I don't even think any of those guys would make Oklahoma State's team. Yeah, so it, it's <laughs> right. it's gonna be it's gonna be something. But I talked about how I want Mason to maybe kind of back off some of the confusion and doing too much. So no, I think this is I a quarterback. Confuse Joe. <laughs> I think this is a quarterback that's like, man, if you have the pass rush, you do with this confusing scheme on the back end. This has all this has the ingredients for one of those really memorable defensive performances. I'll say this. He's a better passer than I remembered him being at Florida. Like I think I think he's a better passer than Jaden Daniels. Yeah, I totally, especially after uh Sunday night after watching that. There's yeah, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forget you've got you've got uh purple and gold running through your veins, literally. Um <laughs> but no, I, I think that he's a better passer than I expected. He's a dynamic runner. And if if he can be decisive in either throw it or run it, he'll give Oklahoma State some issues. But he hasn't done that his entire career, so I'm not going to bank on that. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Um, Kate, I don't really have anything else on Arizona State's offense. Well, let's move on to the defense. I mean, they they give up three points in that game, but what can you learn? Dude, Kate, the, the, literally, that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to do a film breakdown on them. Arizona State was like, Big time pressure and cover one man defense last year. Gundy talked about it as well. And, you know, I went back and watched a couple of games from last year. And then they come out against Northern Arizona and I think they were in zone the entire game. And I, I don't remember, I'm looking at my notes right now, maybe once or twice they brought pressure 
I, I don't even know what PFF has it at, but I don't know how. I don't know what Donnie Henderson and this and who Donnie Henderson's been around for a really long time. He actually was on the Arizona State staff when they went to whatever. What bowl game was that? Ninety six. It was like one of the best Arizona State teams ever. He was on that staff. Left. Like he's been coaching for like forty years. Oh, that was the but, Gasparilla Weed Eater Bowl. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but you know, like I just don't know what. Yeah. So they're showing. They're showing on PA. Neither guy who threw passes for Northern Arizona got blitzed at all. Zero <laughs> times. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, I had the same notes in my like you just couldn't really take it. And then Henderson is talking in his presser about playing zone and he's worried about, you know, the pass rush. So I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know like about getting about them getting to Spencer Sanders. So I, I don't really know what they're gonna do. But if they are to drop in zone, I think Spencer Sanders can can shred them apart. And that's what I would expect him to do. Really, their strength, uh, and you know, Herm Edwards is a four-three guy. He's big on Tampa too, which I talked about earlier. So you'll see some of that sprinkled in. And then obviously Donnie Henderson's probably gonna do some things that Herm likes and then add some of his own stuff in. But their defensive line is not bad. You know, Anthony Cooper, Norman Lott, Joe Moore. My guy that I really wanted Oklahoma State to get, and so did you, Nesta Jade Silvera from Miami. Yeah. He transferred to Arizona State. He's a solid player. The linebackers, uh, Soli and Merlin Robinson, are good, but they're super aggressive. And I think Oklahoma State can exploit them maybe with some wide zone cutbacks, some pre-snap motion. They're really good sound players. They're just extremely aggressive running to the ball, and I think you can exploit that. Roe Torrance is like a seven-foot-tall cornerback. Um, <laughs> he's he's a monster. Uh, they got Ed Woods, DJ Taylor, Chris Edmonds, uh, Beth Lee, the Hawaii transfer. Those are the guys in the secondary to keep an eye on. But, you know, they didn't even play very many snaps. Like, right, right. The, the 53 total plays for Northern Arizona. So, that's really all I've got for you there. I think I think Silvera, he looked good. He's number four on the defensive line. And Merlin Robinson was all over the field. I would keep an eye on those guys. But this defensive backfield is completely new. Basically, nobody returns from last year. And I think Spencer Sanders is going to go off. Would be a good time for it. I mean, it's a stripe the stadium game, prime time. Mike Gundy's begging people to come out and get loud. You and I will be there, I'm sure. Um I, I'm wearing white. I don't know what you're wearing. Uh, but it's white in my section as well. White in your section as well. Um, I'm just listing off all the reasons I'm really excited about this game. It has the ingredients for one of those classic Oklahoma State, like kind of come out and just throw the first punch and never look back type of games. I think Arizona State presents some challenges, but I, I don't know if they are uh, – potent enough through the air to pose a significant risk to Oklahoma State's defense the way we saw Central Michigan do it. So, um, you know, Dustin, I don't know if you're ready to kind of get into the the game breakdown and, and predict this game, but I think I am ready. I think the atmosphere is going to be phenomenal. I think people are going to mm-hmm. be chomping at the bit to get out there. Um, I know I certainly am. But I think Oklahoma state matches up better with an Arizona state than they even do like a central Michigan. Um, I, I feel like Michigan has better all around skill and experience than Arizona state more so on the experience side, but I think Richardson's a really good quarterback. And we said that and Nichols is a great running back. So not to cut you off, but I do agree with you there. 
I agree 100%. And you start thinking about, okay, well, they're bringing in an entire new secondary. Where did Oklahoma State go a lot last week? Through the air. Even against a team that they really had an advantage running the football against, they went through the air. So I don't expect that to change at all this week. Oklahoma State's an 11.5-point favorite, Dustin. Um, I mean, if you're asking me the score, I think Oklahoma State's going to put up a lot of points. I'm going to go 49-24 Oklahoma State. I like that. I was actually – I had 41-24. Yeah. So we're okay. both going way over the over, right? Yeah, and it's weird because Vegas is, is normally seven and a half. Yeah, it is. Uh, at last check, let me see if I can get it right here. Fifty-eight. It's uh, yeah, fifty-eight today, which seems startlingly low for teams that combined for what a uh, hundred and eight points in the week one. I mean, I hate to just harp on this over and over because I know you hear it from everywhere. But if they are going to play fast, it is going to give the other team. More drives, more snaps. It's going to be tough, I think, to hold them super low. And I think Emory Jones may be able to get some things going early in the run game with kind of the zone read stuff. I mean, he's a really good runner and hit on some deep shots. So I do think I do think they give us some big plays. I think it's still a learning experience for this defense. That's the only reason I'm saying the 24 and not going with like a 13 or 17 or something. I, I don't think Arizona State is a good team but i just think this this defense is still learning and i expect them to give up some big plays that's kind of why i'm picking that score yeah i love it dustin you want to hear some of my other picks i mean we talked about prize picks earlier yeah lay them on me again i'm, I'm just gonna hammer this over like you can get a 100 match on your first deposit up to a hundred dollars using our promo code fields 12 it's a phenomenal deal if you don't want to take it up don't do it. Um, but they've got Spencer Sanders at passing and rushing yards total, 330 yards over or under. What do you got there? 330? Yeah. Pass and I rushing think, to total. I think it's got to be over. Or, or I, I, I think you're going to have trouble winning the game. I had it over as well. I, I totally agree with you. I think they're going to want to move them around the way they did against Central Michigan. They have Dominic Richardson at 68 and a half rushing yards. I went over too. And the thing, the thing too, Cade, you bringing that up, like just bringing up <laughs> Spencer's total yards is I think Casey Dunn mentioned this as well, but when they go, when they do slow it down, they're kind of taking, like if they were to stay in tempo, Spencer's always got the run option, right? Right. So when they slow it down, they kind of take that away and it takes away a key part of your offense. That's why, I think they're have they had some trouble against Central Michigan slowing it down because they're not wanting, you know, to add that quarterback run game in there. Do you want Spencer to stay in tempo to stay where he has the option to run when you're up fifty one to fifteen? You know what I'm saying? And I think that's I, I they need to correct it. I'm just saying I think that's one of the reasons they have some issues. Yeah, I love it. Well, anyway, it's a plug, definitely, but check out prize picks as you're putting your bets together for this weekend. It's a fun product. I've enjoyed it. And again, you can use our promo code FEELS12 for a 100% match on your first deposit up to $100. Dustin, I mean, any final thoughts on Arizona State before we move on to Q&A? I know we've got a ton to get to here, so I'm I'm fired up. Yeah, this. yeah, I'm pumped too. I really appreciate all the questions. No, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I think it'll be a fun, fun weekend and 
I'm I'm ready for some more football. Yeah, you know what? I had a uh, I had a couple people, by the way, stop me about the podcast uh, underneath in the mezzanine, uh, getting some beers, obviously. <laughs> but I just wanted to say shout out to those people. Um, you know who you are, and uh, it meant a lot to uh, get tapped on the shoulder and say, "Hey, listen to your podcast." I thought that was pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, let's get right into it. Ryan Winkle, friend of the pod, we saw you sent one in, but for whatever reason, the audio didn't come through. So we tried it, didn't work. We're going to skip it this week because it's inaudible. But thanks, thanks for, though, Ryan. Thanks for trying. We we know we know the effort was there, much like the Oklahoma State defense. We so. won't end your streak. Yeah, <laughs> this counts 100%. All right, here's one from Trevor Taylor, I believe. Gave us his first question last week and uh, came back for more. Hey, boys, T-Nasty here. T-Nasty. We came out humming. <laughs> offensive line pass protected. Spence was shredding them up. We got some playmakers out wide. Great news there. Defensively, you know, the linebacker unit is tough, man. We got swallowed up by blocks. Um, Malcolm used to be able to shed those blocks and get a, get the tackle uh, same with Harper, but these these young guys, they got to figure it out or we're going to be in for a high-scoring affair game after game. You know, just uh, first game takeaways. We'll see what happens next game. I thought the secondary did okay. A lot of contested catches. Uh, Central Michigan had some great receivers, so um, just worried about the linebacker unit, but we'll see what happens. Thanks. He nasty. You, you hit it. You covered it. I mean, coming that, in strong. That's how we should do the podcast. That was what fifty seconds. <laughs> yeah, fifty Instead seconds. Two hours. And, yeah, no kidding. You don't have to listen to this madness. Me, T nasty over and T-Nasty, over. Nasty, welcome to the friend of the pod zone. See you next week. All right. Yeah, I love those. Serious though, the, those are good takeaways. T nasty. I 100%. appreciate the uh, appreciate the voice question. All right, here's one. From a, a real friend one. of the pod, this is our our buddy Alex Fuller, and I believe this is <laughs> this parter. This is a two parter, which says a lot. So let's let's strap in here. Let's get ready. Grab a drink. Here we go. Hello there. Feels like forty five podcast sports fans. This is your one and old man with a million dollar plan. Yes, that's right. One and oh. I gave all you followers the Oklahoma State team total over last week and i apologize it didn't hit in the first <laughs> quarter we had to wait as long as the end of the second quarter before it could hit but it hit it was double your life savings bet and it hit and guess what i'm going to be giving out a winner every single week for every single osu game 12 and 0 in the regular season probably however many 15 and 0 in the postseason the national championship game every single osu game you will get a winner from me. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. No one can stop me. No one can <laughs> do anything to me when it comes to betting OSU football because I win. I apologize. This is a two-part message. I got going. I got the gambling juices flowing, and I couldn't stop, but Anchor cut me off. However, Anchor cannot cut me off from giving you people another winner this week. That's right. Like I said, 12 and 0. That's what we're going this regular season. Before we can get to 12, we got to get to 2. I studied this game frontwards, backwards, sidewards, upwards, sidewards, downwards, and it's easy. This isn't a homer pick. This isn't a biased play. This is a smart, correct 
side. This is a sharp play. It's Oklahoma State minus 11 for the game. I thought about the first half. It tickled my fancy a little bit, but the safe, smart play is minus 11. No way this loses. Trust me. Put your life savings on it. Put your net worth on it responsibly. Gamble responsibly, but do that. Do that and win. Thank you. So there's our new segment. I mean, um, this that's Q&A, with fun boy. This Q&A has gone off the rails. Well, that's going to happen every Quickly. week. So get Quickly. ready. Well, and that Fuller's was great. Gonna, so Fuller's going to give us those winners. And uh, Hayden and I do not condone. Don't take betting <laughs> advice from us. We're just we're here listening to Fuller just like you guys are. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw a little bit on that. Well, that's 100%. What I was gonna say, Fuller, great pick, but we do not, we we can, we are not gambling advisors. Do not <laughs> anything other than friendly chat. But if, and that's if Fuller not does Fuller, it every week, that's fine. That's more for the legal <laughs> side of things. That's like we just got to cover our bases so we can keep doing this. So okay, <laughs> Fuller, that was great. Get, Dustin, should we get to Twitter? Yes. For okay. Love of God, and we got a lot. And we've already gone really long. So if we're going a little fast, apologies, but we're going to hit them all. So uh, we had Tyler Jones at Dr. Tyler Jones. He asked if we're okay. Dr. <laughs> Tyler Jones, we are fine. Sorry, pod out a day late this week. That's my fault. Scheduling conflict last night, but we are okay. Um, and thank God, got, right? <laughs> yeah. Next, we got Glory Cowboy at Goerg Sankar. Always sends us in great questions. Yeah. We appreciate it. He says Sanders looks like he struggles against teams when he's not playing up tempo offense when compared to the opposite. What do you guys feel about that? I, I mean, I think I gave my thoughts over yeah. the course of the pod in multiple spots just because I Spencer kept popping into my head. But I, you know, taking the run part out of you know, when they're going tempo, he's got that run option every time, taking that out. Asking him to throw. I mean, I went through the passes in the second half, asking him to just throw that fade deep ball to Braden Johnson over and over asked him to check down to Ollie Gordon, which, you know, love the spin move, but it's, it's not putting him in a, like, I don't think you can take the second half of that game as Spencer not operating well out of the not up tempo offense. I think you have to look back at last season when they literally were not up tempo a majority of the season. And he was first team, all big 12 quarterback. I, I think, I think he operates fine out of it. I think that second half play calling was just a little suspect there. And I get what they were trying to do. You just got to do it more effectively. I totally agree. I don't I don't know if there's I mean, like, is it is it the offense that Spencer Sanders is more comfortable in? Like, is he more comfortable because of that? Or is it just the growth he's seen as as a player? He's played in so many games that you might be able to plug him into any style of, of offense that Oklahoma State wants to run, and you may feel pretty good about it. But like the the tempo they went with last year versus the tempo they went with this year, he seems more comfortable in this style. But if you go back to last year, he was highly... 60 high, plays a game. He was so yeah, effective, I mean, it's not too. like we were running 90 plays. That's the thing. He was so effective last year. I just think the sample size, as you said, was smaller. So don't let's not get it twisted. Yeah, I agree. Um, next we've got Brian Metcalf. He says, Hey kids, could you talk about success rate per down? Kids. See how well we played on first down. Can you find success rate for tempo over slow play or maybe by quarter? So we, 
we kind of broke down the tempo versus slow play thing several times. I talked about, you know, going to 12 personnel right out of there. Success rate per downs, you know, on, on first down, average yards uh, gained for the offense was um, 9.2 on second down, 7.4, and then on third down, 2.8. And we talked about the third down efficiency, 3 of 12. They, they need to get better on third down. First and second, I thought they were fine, though, in this game. I, I mean, they, they got the amount of yards that you want to get. You know, I think you measure first down success rate as like 50% of the yards. So, you know, five yards as a successful play. And they're getting nine. I mean, I, I think it was I think it was solid effort on first and second down, and they just need to clean up the third down and clean up the you know the the run game. Yeah, hundred percent. I wish I had more to add, but I don't. I I'm with you. Um, and and we'll be tracking that stuff all season. So Ryan, thanks for the question. I had some of that stuff tracked. So put some of that out on Twitter. Next, we got M at uh, underscore camera one underscore. It didn't look like we disguised blitz as much. Do you see that mm. changing as the season progresses? I, mm. what is your kind of take on that? I know, I know we only, I think we only came after him. PFF had it at like 11 of his dropbacks. I, I think I only had like seven passing. Yeah, that's a really good four. question. Really good question. Because if you go back to last year, there was blitz coming from left and right uh, key differentiator from last year to game one of this year. I totally expect that to change as the season goes on. I really think you're probably protecting the secondary by not doing that heavily in game one. Um, but yeah, I, I love the question. I would expect that to change a little bit. And especially with how athletic that linebacker core and Kendall Daniels, I, I would expect that they probably held on to quite a bit in game one. And I would yeah. think we don't see a whole lot different through the non-con. I think it was a combination of they didn't think they were going to need it in the game plan. You know, Gunny said he thought they were going to ground and pound them. Yeah. We thought that as well. So they're going, you know, just kind of base defense there to stop the run with the safeties pulled up and the linebackers. We talked about them playing with their depth. Again, like you said, they don't want to show too much in game one. Yep. And then, you know, at halftime, you're coming out and they're throwing these quick passes. He's going to get that pass off, even if you're blitzing. I mean, he's throwing it within like 1.8, right. 1.9 seconds every time. So I, I think all that kind of went in there, but it's, it is a great question. I do think we see more, like you said. Yeah, that, that's um, a really good question. Appreciate that. Next, we've got Mark Ortwine. The at I think or Twain, I think I'm saying that probably way wrong. He said, Is Derek Mason bad at in-game adjustments? My just answer to that is no. <laughs> That's a little early, I think, to be making sweeping judgments. Uh, I'm gonna go with no. I appreciate the question though, Mark. Um, next we got Tyler Wheat at Tyler Wheat seven. He says Spencer and Brennan both said after CMU that the offense can go much faster. Do you think we're going to see the offense, the OSU offense of old in 2022? And how does such a drastic offensive change from 2021 affect defensive strategy, complementary football? And kid, we, we talked about it. We did, we did see tempo at times last year. It's not like they never did tempo. And up in the bowl game, they did it the entire game. I, I think you see a mix like you did in this last game. And I think they just need to figure out how to get first downs when they're not going tempo. And we talked about, you know, the the defense is going to have to be on the field more if they're scoring, you know, 70, 80 points, but they're, they're just going to have to figure that out. And coach Mason said, you know, they know what this offense is. So they've been practicing for this. So I, I don't think, I, I don't, I think, I think they've got it 
kind of mostly figured out. They're just trying to iron a few things out. I, I tweeted this after the game, and it's really not an answer, but it's kind of a, a general thought about the defense. I I think we will look back on that Central Michigan second half, which is what a lot of people are talking about. I think this question is even rooted in that. We will look back at that part of that game the way we looked back at Missouri State last year. Um, you remember how confusing that was, and then you look back at the end of the year, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we were six inches from the playoff, and we almost lost to Missouri State in week one. So you get questions yeah. like, is is Derek Mason batted in game adjustments? What does complimentary football look like? It's like, well, no, these guys are not, not thinking about these things. So I fully expect this to steady out as the season goes on, but it may not. You may just see that in week six and not look at the incremental improvements from week one to week two to week three. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, next we've got Eric Harris at H Eric, the red, he says, what player in the linebacker and safeties needs to step up and help the young guys recognize things. Also, why is no one talking about the great back shoulder throws that beat our DBs? We did. We did. Yeah. Richardson's a good quarterback. Yeah, we it's hilarious. All he's over like that five eight, but I love him. I uh, I have a lot of respect for that dude. He's kind of a baller. Um, what was the first part of that question? Sorry, who needs to step up in the in the? I mean, know, linebacker and secondary groups. Yeah, it's so tough. I mean, Xavier Benson, Sean Michael Flanagan would be on the short list. Uh, Jason Taylor already is right a leader. He needs help. Think and Cobb, I think Cobb can do it as well. I, I would actually change my secondary answer to Thomas Harper. If he's if he's great, Oklahoma State can be much better defensively if he can if he can cause issues back there. It's a tough position to play that so nickelback. So tough. especially with what Oklahoma State asked him to do. You know, he's up press on the slot at times. They ask him to do a lot of stuff, follow the motion man, and it's uh it's a tough spot. But yeah, he does he needs to clean some things up for sure. I think that's a good call. Yeah. And I don't take step up as like a negative, like they've played bad. I just like, I think if he can unlock some of these things, he'll, we will be better for it. No, great point. Uh, next, we got Pistol Paul at Paul Tie 2. What are some things Mason can do to keep teams from using the CMU blueprint? I think, you know, th- there's a couple of things you can do to stop the quick passing game, either, whether it's Air Raid, West Coast, any, anything that's kind of taking those short passing routes and using that as part of their run game, you know, leaking guys out of the backfield, the running back and tight end. You could play press, which we didn't see a lot from both cornerbacks last game. We saw a lot of press into the boundary from Mason, but normally to the field they were off. We saw some, and then we saw a lot of just everybody off, and he did that a lot at Auburn as well, that kind of like five-yard cushion. So you could play press. But you can also do some things that they kind of switch to in the second half with some more two-man under stuff like the Tampa 2, cover 2 that we've seen Mason run at Vandy and Auburn to where those cornerbacks are in the flats, the linebackers are kind of in those short hook curl flat zones, yeah. and you take away those routes. But that's probably like and, – and, and also that could lead to giving your defensive line more time to come after the quarterback. So they're going to make some adjustments, whether they go with more cover 2 – or more press man, I'm not 100% sure. Those would be kind of the two main options you can toy with. But, you know, every defensive coach is going to tell you something different when you ask them, like, you know, a more man, <laughs> totally. a more man style coach is going to say, play more press man. And a more zone style coach is going to say, oh, you beat them with cover two, bring in your cornerbacks into the flats. 
So we'll see what he does, but those would be my two just kind of guesses out of my small brain. Well, I was just going to give you a comp. I mean, just cooking it up right there. Some scheme <laughs> right there. I mean, nice job. I, I agree. My first reaction is, well, get up on them and, and, and make them beat you through the air. If you're, if your defense can get pressure, which I think Oklahoma States can, that would be, I think my personal preference. But th- again, that's totally you're now we're talking about what style do you want? Do you want zone yeah. or do you want man? I, I love a, a man press defense where the defensive line can get after it and you hold it down in the secondary. Kate, I think uh, so. Uh, Henry Marshall at M. Henry Harshall one asks us a question. The first part's kind of about tempo. So I'm not going to hit that again. But the second part, I'll ask you, and we really appreciate the question, Henry. This is a good question. What can OSU do to keep the offense running efficiently while giving? the inexperienced secondary chance. So like, what can they do to run the offense when they're not going tempo? I think this is a pretty straightforward answer. Run the football, run the is ball away. You got to yeah. run the football. Yeah. Run the ball. I mean, go pro st- just go under center. I formation. <laughs> no, I think you just got to be able to run the ball out of your base set efficiently. Yeah. yeah just run 100%. it efficiently. And, and I think they could add back in more of the, you know, some of the some of the crossing routes that we've seen from Oklahoma State, you know, Y cross, some of the mesh stuff, just some of the quick stuff that I don't think we saw. Spencer didn't even really throw it over the middle at all. And it's because when they went more vanilla, you know, not tempo offense, it was just kind of those sideline throws. I, I think bringing the running game in and bringing more of those kind of quick passing routes in that Central Michigan was running would be helpful. You saw a little bit of that with Ollie Gordon and Braylon Presley, but yeah, that that'd be my kind of thing. Yep, yep, I'm with you. It's it's all to me being able to run the ball out of a formation that the the defense doesn't know you could run the ball out of. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Weston at CW Mason ninety two says, "Will Sanders in the season as a season as our leading rusher?" <laughs> no, no, I but it. I get why you asked it. No, I mean if he does though, be awesome. Do, do win, the Heisman. State win the big 12 and a Heisman like seriously <laughs> I I think I do think Ollie Gordon starts to get more snaps um I think Dom continues to be you know he was efficient and I think he continues to improve I, I think one of those guys I I just don't know I, I do think Nixon is a great change of pace guy I just don't think he's going to get the volume of carries I think he starts to drop some of those to DeAndre Jackson and to Ollie as the season goes on. But I def I think it's going to be one of the running backs, I think. Well, and we didn't see any of DeAndre Jackson. And hopefully that situation gets ironed out, you know, this weekend. It'd be great to to have that talking point going into uh, Pine Bluff. So next we got Evan McDaniel at Evan ETM. His second question is about what adjustments can be made to the defense to get more pass rush against the quarterback. We already answered that one. So I'll, I'll, he asked two, so I'll hit that one. What numbers would Spencer have to put up against ASU to keep Heisman buzz around him? Well, keep uh, is, is a generous um, word there, but I mean, if, if he goes out, I mean, and goes 350 passing yards and 60 rushing yards and a couple of touchdowns through the air and on the ground each, uh, then I think he keeps the narrative going in that direction. But I mean, shoot, who knows? He's going to have to beat like a 
Texas first to to and be undefeated after that game to really start getting any recognition. Yeah, we know, we know that. I think you're right though. If he keeps around that 300 yard mark, you know, a couple of p- passing touchdowns, and then gets around that 60, 70 rushing yards and another touchdown there, he can consistently have four ish touchdown range with that 300 and 60, 70 split. I think it's going to be hey, you know, pretty. I good. I already said. I've got 2023 Heisman futures on Spencer Sanders. Yeah, and I love it. I just I I don't think it's crazy, which is hilarious. But I I think he's going to have an amazing year. Yeah, I agree. Pistol Rick says, uh, "Does ASU intend to play to win the game?" Herm Pistol Edwards Rick. <laughs> Pistol Rick sending in a question. Love That's Pistol phenomenal. Rick. He's awesome. one of the one of the great like meme. OSU accounts out there. Oh, great follow. <laughs> and then the, I, I think we have two more. Tyler Jones, shout out to him again. He says all time Herm team versus all time Gundy team. I love that question. Whoa. But I have no idea how to answer that. It would have to be an all time Herm team, right? <laughs> like you're talking Probably, in yeah, a, NFL, NFL team guys. versus Oklahoma State guys. Uh, I'll go Herm. But again, it's kind of cool to see. Uh, it will be cool to see Herm Edwards walk around the sidelines in Stillwater. He called Dunpick and State a, a great venue. He had a lot of nice things to say about Oklahoma State, which it's always cool to see a coach like that who's seen a lot come out and say the things he did. It was yeah. pretty complimentary. Yeah, if you haven't watched his press conference, he's so interesting to listen to talk. He seems like a you know just really genuine guy. Um, last one was in the DM in my personal DM shout out to Zach Taylor for sending this one at Zach T underscore. He's asking about what the transcript issues mean for Deandre Jackson. Like, how does that happen? I honestly think it's some kind of payment he had lingering to Texas A&M. Apparently he has now paid it off, but they just haven't processed everything. I, I mean, it could be parking tickets mixed with bursar stuff mixed with i mean who knows like it could be anything that they would hold the transcript for if he has any outstanding payment books i mean who who knows so i I believe that's what from what i've heard it's something of that nature so that's kind of why he's ineligible because he can't get academically eligible at oklahoma state until they release that transcript yeah, I mean, phenomenal context there. I, I, I hope it gets resolved soon. Hope AM's not playing hardball. They got enough issues with Sam Houston State. I mean, they got like Alabama coming to town in two weeks. Like, <laughs> figure it out. You got enough to worry about. Let's let's get Oklahoma State's guys eligible. So, Cade, one other hot take. Oh, I love. When I you think get we hot takey. I think we may, along with Ollie, I think we may start to see a little more Braylon Presley. I'm not. Just again, my ears were in the right place at the right time. I'm not saying I'm calling for that. I'm saying I think we start to see just a couple more snaps and then just gradually increase. We'll keep it locked here with the Feels Like 45 podcast as we bring you takes like that. I mean, I I agree. His stop and start on that one little bubble screen pass was uh, like very shocking how quickly he can do that. I can't wait to see him. We were wrong about Brennan last week. We got some information after Good the point. pod that he was probably going to play a little bit more. So sorry for that 
misinformation from me on his day-to-day status. I mean, hey, if we went over all the things over the years you and I have gotten wrong, <laughs> but later learned correctly, we would go for three hours, but today we're only going to go for two and a half. So, <laughs> yes, they won't all be this long. We won't go through every single player on the offensive line every time. We just wanted to do a big season opening extravaganza for you guys and listen to both of us just kind of ramble on the same topics over. No, here. well, I, I hope you guys keep it locked here because I, I had fun with it. I've I've missed this. Um, we only got like half a season last year. So there's definitely been some anticipation for me, I'm sure for you and, you know, definitely our listeners who have been checking on us because we're a day late, which was very flattering. We're fine. We're here. We love you very, very much. And um, we can't wait to see you guys back here next week. I mean, it's going to be a great one in Stillwater. Hope you can make it out. Uh, Stripe the stadium. So make sure you know where you're sitting and what shirt color you're supposed to wear. Uh, I'm in white. Dustin's in white, so that's what we got. But we'll if be you're not early this weekend, we'll oh, be yeah. out there a little early, so we'll my, be my, out and about. My daughter's coming too. It's her uh, her first Oklahoma State game uh, after you know her first one was she was like a month old. This is her next one, so this is really like her first game. So it's gonna be. Exciting. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, she has a good time. Well, if you're not already, keep it locked with us. It feels like 45 Pod on Twitter. Follow Dustin at Dustragu and follow me on Twitter at Cade Webb. And thank you for making it through this opening weekend uh, podcast episode with us. We'll talk to you guys next week. Beat Arizona State. And as always, go Pokes.